Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So Irving Berlin has a great quote, and he said, Life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. And I wanted to talk about the idea of perception and that we all see the world through our own eyes. And a lot of times people expect that the rest of the world sees everything the same way. And I see this over and over again with people coming into therapy. For example, a lot of times people sort of live by their own set of rules. And they expect that other people live by their rules as well. And I see this with people who have personalities who are sort of inherently open and honest with their feelings. So especially somebody who's already this way and then they come to therapy and then they start trying to communicate how they feel more and more with the people around them. And what happens is they often get surprised because they will tell somebody, a friend, a family member, how they feel and they're completely open and vulnerable and honest about either something they're dealing with or something they've dealt with or how they feel about something. And they will expect automatically that because they have done this, it is an invitation for the other person to do the same. And this becomes a pitfall in a lot of ways, especially in the dating world, where a lot of times people expect that if they do all of these things, if they open up to somebody and they share their feelings, that the other person will somehow return the favor or live by the same rules. And they are surprised when that doesn't happen. And so that's one example of how perception works. The other thing I've seen about perception is the difference in the way that the rest of the world understands stress or anxiety. Because it seems to me, particularly in the medical world, that stress is often used as a catch-all phrase for any kind of symptom or condition that medical professionals don't have an explanation for. I may have told this story before, but basically I had an issue where I understood that there was something wrong with my vision, but I couldn't exactly explain it in a way that made sense. And and the optometrist ran a couple of small tests and basically told me that the issue I was having was just stress. And it didn't make any sense. And later what I found out was actually that I have an astigmatism. And I knew it wasn't stress. Being a psychologist, I have some expertise on stress and I know when I'm stressed and when I'm not. And certainly stress does not explain problems with vision. As far as I know, I would love it if somebody would correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that stress does not cause an astigmatism. And so 
that's something that bothers me a lot is that that becomes a catch-all phrase when the medical profession can't figure out what somebody has got. And I've talked about this before. I've heard this from clients a number of times that they knew something was wrong and a series of tests were run and and their doctor couldn't figure out what was wrong with them and then just kind of said, well, it's probably because of stress. And so that's something that stress has become has become perceived as the reason for unexplained medical conditions. Now, the other thing I see about the perception of stress or anxiety is that I think most people, when we're not talking about stress being used as a catch-all phrase for medical conditions, most people understand the concept of stress and when things are stressful in life and when you have anxiety. I think most people understand what that feels like. Now, the problem with that is that when I see people who genuinely have a trauma of some kind and they are triggered, say, at work, something happens, someone talks to them in a certain way and they are triggered or they're asked to do something and they are triggered. And what that means is that when a person becomes triggered, they go back in their mind to the time of when the trauma first occurred in their life. A lot of times the word terror is used to describe how they feel. Now, it's not because of what's happening in the present. They don't feel terror because of what is happening in the present. The present is simply a trigger for a time in their life where they were traumatized and there actually was terror. And so they will perceive something that's fairly neutral in their work environment as terror. And what happens is that a lot of times when people are in therapy and sort of understanding all the stuff that they have been through in their lives, they will realize, oh, geez, I've got a lot of triggers in my life. It happens when I talk to this person. It happens at work. It happens when I talk to that person. It happens when my partner does this. And so they become very aware of moments where they're perception of what is actually happening and their perception of what is happening are two different things. And they are able to understand that their emotional reaction is much greater than what the present circumstance warrants. So a lot of times, knowing this, people will start to tell others around them about what sets them off in order to explain why they don't handle things the way they normally do in said situation. And usually partners are very good about understanding and helpful and friends. But employers, not so much. A lot of times employers, when an employee says to them, I have a trauma, And so this situation at work often triggers me. Employers will often assume that that 
means stress or anxiety, like we all experience. There is no understanding whatsoever that it is often sheer terror. And so that is something that I think perceptively is very difficult to communicate. The understanding, the perception of what is happening when somebody is triggered is just often not there. For example, imagine that a person was working as a bank teller and someone comes up to the counter and holds them at gunpoint and demands money and they experience terror in that moment. And then years go by and the person who was the bank teller finds themselves working in some kind of situation where people walk up to a counter and they are to help the person at the counter. And when a person who looks a certain way comes up and comes up abruptly, they are reminded of what happened at the bank and they feel it as if it's happening all over again in sheer terror. And that is the part that employers don't really understand, that there are reminders that cause us to perceive what is happening now as being exactly the same and with no time passing as what happened before in the traumatic event. So this is another way that perception really has an impact. And I see this all the time. If you think about it this way, you have two people who get in a similar type of car accident. You have a person who gets rear-ended, is really just kind of pissed off because now they're going to have to repair their car. They're going to have to go through insurance. They're going to be without a car for a number of days. And they're just pissed off and irritated about the inconvenience that that car accident has caused them. Another person gets rear-ended at about the same level and they can't ever drive again. And you might know a story like this of somebody that something traumatic happened to them or seemingly semi-traumatic happened to them and they were never the same again. And that is because of how it's perceived. It's how a person perceived the events. And the first person has the attitude of like, this crap happens I'm so irritated, now I've got all this stuff I've got to do. And the other person perceives it as, I didn't see this coming, I don't have any control in my life, things can just happen out of nowhere, and I am terrified that this will happen again. And this does happen all the time, that several people can go through very similar events and only one of them walks away having been traumatized. And that is because of perception. What the mind does with the information in the situation, in the dramatic situation. And so it's very interesting because a lot of people who are first responders are 
often expected to go through sensitivity training. And I don't completely understand what that's about because I have worked with first responders a lot. And the reason that they don't get traumatized every time they see something horrific happen is because they have a way of perceiving it and understanding it. And a lot of times we will see like EMTs just go into fixing when they see a horrible accident. They just simply move into doing what they need to do in order to take care of the person. Or a lot of times we see cops who have dark senses of humor because that's how they deal with all the sort of scary things that happen in the world. And basically, there is sort of, I guess, a coldness that comes compared to the rest of the world with first responders. I think that if an EMT were to to see a horrible accident and then start to worry about the families and if the person's going to live or die and start thinking about it from an emotional perspective, they would be completely ineffective at doing their job. If they felt the emotional impact of everything they saw fully, they probably wouldn't be able to do what they do. And I think that that is what makes them effective, that when they see a crisis or when a police officer sees a crisis, they are trained to simply go in and intervene in the way that they were trained to do so. And there is not a lot of room for emotional processing. It's just emergency, fix it. And I think the rest of the world doesn't understand this very much. They don't understand that you need to operate in a certain way in order to be effective in these type of jobs. And you cannot be perceiving every single dramatic event as a moment to emotionally process. So I don't really understand why first responders would need sensitivity training because we kind of don't need them to be sensitive on the job. Sure, they could maybe find better ways of delivering news to loved ones with better language or better body language or something like that. But I don't know that we actually want them to feel more sensitive. And, and I feel the same way. People often ask me, why do you do what you do and listen to all these horror stories all day long? And the truth is, is that I've heard most of it already. And at, at this point in my career, I've heard pretty much everything. And there are nuances and small differences for the most part. But also, my perception is that when someone comes to me, no matter how bad their life has been, they're coming because they want to get better. 
and they want to live a more fulfilling life. And that is the best case scenario, no matter what's happened. The opportunity for me to help somebody to live a better life is so hopeful. And that's how I look at it. I don't perceive it as like another horrible story. I perceive it as an opportunity to help somebody to live their best life and actually have a shot at happiness for the next part of their life. And that feels good. Now, I see this a lot, too, in terms of just how people perceive therapy. A lot of times I will see this when there's a, there's a couple, say, and one of them is having trouble because the other one has some issues that clearly haven't been worked out, and so they decide to take a break. And the person with the issues says, well, I'm really going to take some time to work on myself. And often I have the other person in therapy who's sort of waiting for the partner to have a come-to-Jesus moment or to wake up or to recognize some other point of view. And they're waiting for their partner to get there. But the partner's idea is not to go to therapy and work on themselves. Their idea is, I'm just going to read more self-help books. And that's what I'm going to do to work on myself. And that's all fine and well and all, but I think most people have already done that and it hasn't worked because if you're reading different self-help books, but still seeing them through the lens of your warped perception, then what good is it? You know, and even worse than that, I mean, at least a self-help book is trying to introduce another perspective. But a lot of times what people mean by working on themselves is I'm just going to think more about this. I'm going to spend more time thinking about this. And, you know, we know what happens when people are depressed and isolated and spend a lot of time in their own heads. They don't usually get better. They, they end up sort of spinning and going into their own sort of crazy way of viewing the world and just sort of get worse. At least if you talk to other people, again, there's an opportunity to be introduced to another point of view. But spending more time alone is usually the exact opposite of what people need to work on themselves. And I think a lot of people are afraid of going to therapy. I have actually heard people say, I don't want to know what's in there. Thanks, I'm good. I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to know what's inside of there. I don't need to know what's in there. They don't want to stir the pot. A lot of people fear that if they go, it will make them go crazy because they'll figure something out about themselves that they didn't want to know, and it's going to make them worse somehow. And I think it does on some level. When you start to explore, you do recognize things that are unpleasant, but you won't go crazy. It'll just make you uncomfortable. 
And then there's a, there's a funny thing that happens from a psychologist's perspective is that I cannot tell you how many people come in for the first time ever, who come to therapy for the first time ever, and the reason that they are afraid is because they are afraid that I am going to see something in them that is so crazy that I have never seen before, that is outside of the norm, that is a unique, insane condition that there are no words for. And I cannot tell you how many people, there are so many people who believe that. And it's ludicrous, honestly, because it's like everybody, and from my perception, everybody fits, unfortunately, into some category of a diagnosis, either just some symptoms of a diagnosis or a full diagnosis that already exists and has existed forever. And no one has ever fallen outside of that in my entire career. I have never seen anybody who didn't have something that was 100% explainable by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Everybody falls into some diagnostic category. So I think that that is sort of what the problem is in terms of people perceiving what my world is all about. There is so much of a fear of what happens in the world of mental health that uh, a lot of times it prevents people from not only getting the therapy that they probably need, but also just the rest of the world kind of understanding what conditions are like. I think the reason that it is a stigma, that mental health issues are a stigma, is because because a lot of people don't want to go there. People don't want to know that stress or anxiety is actually terror in some cases. Employers don't want to know that. People don't want to know that they really probably need to make drastic changes in their lives. Or they don't want to know that the way that they perceive things is warped in some way. Everybody creates their own perception because it works for them. And unfortunately, this is how we all become disconnected because everybody kind of sticks to their own perception of things and they are unwilling to see other people's points of view. So I would say, keep an open mind, look inside, be willing to hear and notice other people's points of view and recognize the limitations of your own perceptions. Be well and thank you for listening.